Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Everyday Theology, where we connect theological truths to the everyday believer. I'm Ben Campbell, and I am with Dustin Walters here. Dustin, how's it going today? And things are going well. I'm thankful to uh, have this opportunity to get this podcast out there and uh, just grateful to be here, man. Yeah, I'm super excited to uh, to be talking about uh, your a follow-up post to the Where Do We Go From Here a follow-up post. I've been saying post all day. A follow-up episode to your post, where do we go from here? We need a new host on this podcast, I think. Uh, well, for our <laughs> listeners, uh, our listeners may think that we're just amazing and we're cranking out new content every single week, uh, but our listeners should know that we are copying the model of others who've gone before us and we're recording multiple episodes on the same day. So we appreciate your generosity and patience and continuing yeah. to listen to it. Yeah, we don't just wear these clothes all the time. <laughs> so I want to, I do want to follow up this post though, Dustin, and I, I want to get kind of a recap of, of the, where do we go from here? You, you noted that the ministry landscape is changing and uh, how, how and why is that changing? You think? Two primary reasons, um, without reflecting too much to the initial post that we wrote, our, our, we could put the show notes and people can go back and read that uh, if they want to. Um, but I think one way that the, the, the reason that ministry is going to look a little different is because of the trend toward um, uh, secularism, uh, worldliness. We've been going through this since the inception of uh, postmodernism. Uh, we've talked about how just thinking culturally has changed. Morals have changed. Uh, the view of, of how do we know things, which is epistemology, has changed. And so I think there's this growing trend towards secularism, uh, which we sh we're not surprised by, right? Like we're right. aware that this is the end result of the fall and just human civilization that rejects God is actually going down a path of its own destruction. The wages of sin is death, right? And so we see our culture going in that path. And so how does that affect the local church? Uh, we just live in a society that is not a Bible belt. You know, everyone believes in heaven and hell uh, world. We, we live in a world that people don't even believe in God. And so uh, I, I continue to point to this, Ben, to our listeners. Uh, there's a difference in an Acts 17 church and an Acts 2 church. The church in Acts 17, they didn't have the Old Testament foundation. The church in Acts 2 did. And so how do we do ministry in a world that, uh, basically, there's all these religious idols. There's all this empty stuff. But how do we uh, relate that to us today? And then the second part of not only the growing trend of secularism, uh, but I think, um, you know, many of our churches were planted in an era where there were Billy Graham crusades. And we thank God for the many souls that were saved through this evangelistic camp meeting style revivalism you know the we praise god many many of our own families come to faith in christ through something like that uh, but we think about how many of our free will baptist churches in particular were established uh in that era 50s 60s 70s 80s 80s being kind of a prime period in free will baptist life what does it look like what does it look like not only for us to build on the fruit of what uh, those who've labored before us been but what does it look like uh, in a world where we can't just simply say, come to a church service uh, and people are going to hear the gospel get saved. What does it look like for us to be the church mm -hmm. Sunday through Saturday, every day of the week? You know, what does it look like in a post-Christian, post-pandemic world? 
I think there's a there's a lot there, but uh, I do think that that one of the the bigger more important questions that that churches are now having and Christians are now having to ask themselves, and I think you alluded to this in the the previous podcast on this this topic, but will the real Christian stand up? You know, it's almost going to be a Daniel three moment again, where not it might not be that the country is going to say this is now your god and and you need to to pray to this but it's going to be you're not allowed to do this anymore and are we willing to say actually we're going to do this or are we just gonna sit back and say okay well we'll we'll stop you know and and that's that's really where true christianity true christianity comes into the 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 picture here isn't it where are we willing to deal with a little bit of persecution now for uh, the reward and the great joy that is the life to come? And so that changes then how we do ministry, doesn't it? It's going to change a lot moving forward. Um, <clears throat> what do you think ministry is going to look like moving forward now that secularism is deeply rooted in the church now? We have churches who will adopt secular mentalities and will play secular music in their lobbies and will apply secular business principles to somehow govern their church. What's that going to look like for the true church to move forward? In the post, I made a comment about on the other side of the pandemic, ministry will look very relational. It'll be organic and it'll be strategic and what it does outside of Sunday. And then there's two areas that I think really for this episode, we want to focus on how's ministry going to look different in the area of evangelism. We've already talked about that. Yeah. And then today's episode in the area of discipleship. Yeah. And, and it, I think uh, I like what Robbie, Gall Robbie, Robbie Gallaty says about evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship, he says, are two oars on the same boat. And he says, if you if you only do one or you only emphasize one, you'll end up going in circles your entire ministry. And so it, it's definitely a both and, right? It's it's an it's a delicate line that you have to follow. Um, and so what we want to do uh, is is really discipleship is going to be, I think, the main element of ministry moving forward. Like you know, the, the, the big church-wide events and things are going to be good, and they're good and well, and they're fine, and, and you probably uh, can use those as an element of discipleship, but those things no longer draw people, right? The, those things, the, these big events and these different types of activities aren't, aren't going to be the source from which people are going to say, boy, that really makes me want to go to that church. What you're saying is, it's going to be the people that live in the same neighborhood with them that go to your church, reaching out to them, having them over at their house, telling them about Jesus and saying, hey, our church has a wonderful kids program. Would you love to come and visit sometime? Um, <clears throat> so I, I want to ask just a couple of questions here. Um, in, in the ministry of the local church, you know, discipleship is a catch-all word, isn't it, right? Like it's a nice, nice, trendy word right now. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I want to get your thoughts on how do you think 
discipleship can be the most fruitful in an age where it's real trendy and you know the the pragmatic side of things is kind of fleeting how can discipleship be most fruitful right now in a secular world well it all goes to relationship right we 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 think about the word discipleship we have to remind ourselves what is a disciple is that like a super christian that reads their bible and prays every day or is that like and we just clearly want to say out, out from the start, there is no difference. If you are a born again follower of Jesus Christ, you've been buried to the old man, you've been raised to new life, you're walking with Christ, you know, you have the spirit, you have the fruit of the spirit, you are a disciple, you are a student, a learner, a mathetes of Jesus. And so there's no like Christian over here, a disciple over here, they're one in the same. Uh, and so re- when it comes to your question, in the in the previous uh, in the previous half century, what we've seen is a strong emphasis on Sunday school ministry. And personally, I think that Sunday school, which is where you come to a class in the church building, you read the Bible. Sometimes you read a lesson from a curriculum like uh, D six or Randall House or somewhere like that, uh, and you have your forty five minutes probably before the sermon, and then you go home after the service is over. I mean, that's kind of how we've done discipleship, right? And even with our children's ministry, we say, well, we're going to take your kids to uh, children's church for 45 minutes a week, and that's going to be their the, the, the essence of their discipleship or their the environment in which they are, they are being taught to grow in Jesus. Mm-hmm. But what I really would like to see and what I think is more biblical is what does discipleship look like in an ordinary day-by-day whether you're in a family or whether you're single or whatever your situation in life is, what does it look like to grow in relationship with God and others? What does it look like to grow in relationship with God and others? And I think that discipleship is the means, uh, the medium by which Jesus has given us to grow and to thrive is when we are in community with other believers. Yeah, I think that's that's just so vitally important to the ministry of the church, right, is is having those followers of Jesus who are deeply committed to to him and to his word. And when you I think it's also important to emphasize the the familial aspect of discipleship where like as as a parent, like I don't just have a a responsibility of my own following of Jesus, but I also have a responsibility to lead my household to follow Jesus. And that's not that's not the the obligation of the church to do those things. And that's where youth ministry has probably gone wrong over the past half century. Um but but is starting to correct itself some and we have to fight that urge, right? Cuz it's all too easy to depend on the church to do this for us isn't it? It's, it's way too easy to do that. It's hard to get up every day and to get in your Bible and to read and to meditate and to pray and to, to be with Jesus. That's hard work. Um, you have to discipline yourself for that. And it's, it's easier to just commit yourself to one hour, a couple hours a week and say, there's my discipleship for the week. But the problem is that doesn't define a follower of Jesus. The follower of Jesus is the one who is salt and light in the world and light is no good 
if it is hidden, salt is no good if it's not salty, right? That's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. So um, the, I, I'm, I'm in complete agreement. The most fruitful disciple, discipleship endeavors are the ones that flow out of people who have been with Jesus. And I think that's vitally important as we, as we move forward in this post-Christian, post-modern, post-pandemic, secular age, post-secular, whatever. <laughs> Everything's post now. Uh, I, I, we have to go back to square one, and we need to go back to Acts 2, and we need to be like, this is the church we want to be. The church that recognizes we've been with Jesus, and and then it, that then influences others to to want to know Him as well. And I think one of the primary differences, as we think about how is this church going to look different than say the pre-pandemic church, and I think Ben, the the biggest key that we really need to be aware of, and, and we're so thankful for religious liberty, we're thankful for our freedoms, we pray that we keep them. Yeah, but. Um, what do you do when the government tells you you can't gather? I think that we all did what we were supposed to do. I served as a pastor during the early pandemic. You have been pastoring and seeing your people through the other side of this. Um, I complied. I complied with the, the advice that we were given because I wanted to be a good light. I wanted to be in compliance with the state. And I think that many of our brethren, pastors and leaders and ministry leaders, deacons and church boards would be listening to this when say we did what we thought we did acted in good faith yeah but as i think back what was more effective our online video survey streaming or we can put the content out there or or was it more effective uh when people would say you know what i'm going to have a group of three to five in my house we're going to pray together we're going to eat we can wear a mask we can social distance whatever but I had a few people that did that for me during the pandemic. And those people were a godsend, man, as an unmarried man, being yeah. able to just like have a meal with somebody, you know, all the restaurants were closed, everything. And, and so my whole point that I'm, I'm not sure that I'm being clear about, um, but, but I think that we really need to figure out the relationship side of our church because people been that are in your church, even though you're in Arbor Grove in a rural area, um, and I'm about to be serving in a church in Nashville, right? There is this sort of like, where, what are we doing outside of Sunday? There is this commuter society that we're in. Mm -hmm. And so my question is, how do we capture the element of like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call life together? How do we bring that back, Ben? Because just singing songs and hearing a sermon and giving and all the elements of worship there's just something lacking in the life of the disciple and it is doing life fellowship koinonia one-on-one -on -one with other believers yeah not sure if that was clear or not sure if i muddied the waters but no i think i think that you're right again there's something that happens discipleship doesn't just make a ministry discipleship accents the ministries of the church right because you're in it with other people that's how paul can say that we we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom well, you don't really teach and admonish one another if you don't know each other, right? And you don't sing to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs if you don't really know each other. And if you're not gathered, you can't do that. And so I, I, <clears throat> I would like to prod you a little bit, and this can go a couple of different ways. 
Um, but what types of ministries do you think should involve discipleship? How, how, how does discipleship show itself in, in ministry form, maybe is a better word? How does discipleship express itself in ministry being the, the totality of what the church is and does? Um, I think one of the primary ways that it expresses itself is both the private or the individual component as well as the corporate. The individual component of discipleship is that you're submitting to Christ. You're posturing your heart. And even though you fight against the flesh and you, it's not easy, as you pointed out, to do the disciplines. Each day when you get up, you decide who's going to be king, Jesus or you. <laughs> and as a disciple, even when you blow it, even when you sin, even when you go horribly wrong, you always come back to that place of saying, okay, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my sexuality, the Lord of my thoughts, the Lord of my emotions, the Lord of my money, the Lord of my time, the Lord of my finances, you know, like I already yeah. said money, but the point being that you just, as a disciple individually, you just kind of posture your heart and the spirit enables you to do that. But then there's another component of it, Ben. In our culture today, we see people telling us, well, me and God have our own thing going on. I don't need church. I can just watch Facebook live at my house. And look, if you're homebound and you're sick and you, you can't go to your church, we want you. That's why we put online church out there for you is so that you, you know, can watch church. If you're on vacation, you can still be with your church family remotely. But if you think that you can fight the devil and hell and temptation on your own without community, you don't even understand Christ because he, even Jesus, the son of God, the incarnate one, the one who is truly God and truly man had four who were in his inner circle. That doesn't mean that the other eight were just somehow like less than it just means that if Jesus, the son of God needed authentic community and fellowship with other men, then how much more do you and I have been and how much more do our church members? And so there's the individual component, number one, and then there's the corporate component, number two, which plays itself out, I think, mostly in community groups and small groups. Yeah. And, and it doesn't, at the same time, on top of that, it does not negate the corporate gathering of all the entire church. But I think it actually complements it, right? Like if you've right, got a couple of groups in your church, maybe, maybe you've got one small group that's talking about the sermon uh, where they, the pastor provides notes for them, or maybe you've got a group that's talking about, man, this week in our D6 curriculum, we were just talking about, uh, Jesus's kingdom and, and how that, you know, impacts, you know, how we live out our lives with our neighbors and how we show hospitality. Um, my point simply being that we don't throw away the corporate gathering because we believe the early church so much as you gather, yeah, right? It was implied that they would be together at least once a week. And we complain, Ben, we're so impatient. <laughs> uh, we get upset when the preacher goes a little bit long, when we're about an hour and five minutes in the service. And we're <laughs> like, come on, man, we're ready to go to the Mexican restaurant and eat. Praise yeah. the Lord. Amen. Uh, but the thing is, I mean, this guy fell asleep one time when Paul was preaching. I mean, we love the story of Eutychus. Yeah. Uh, which if somebody fell asleep or died while we were preaching, uh, we couldn't raise him back probably. But anyhow, uh, the point being that they were at church a lot longer in the early church and mm. we fuss and fight about having an hour in service. Yeah. Where's our heart? Where's our heart? Mm. And my prayer is that God will help us to, to figure out what does it mean to be a disciple 
who replicates and makes other disciples. Discipleship, as it goes back to your question, and this is kind of the summary of it, it's a lifestyle, right? It's not a program, it's a lifestyle, and it is intended for every believer, pastors and lay people alike. Pastors should be leading on the front end to help provide structure, but we overcomplicate it. Uh, disciples make disciples. Yeah, um, I just, yeah, we could end it there. I mean, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like right. you don't, you don't, you don't forsake corporate gatherings for the sake of discipleship, right? That's not, that's not how that works. They're, they're, they are complementary of each other and. I think that's one of the, the more important points we have to understand about ministry is that discipleship is not an aspect of your ministry. Your discipleship means that you follow Jesus, <laughs> right? That there's not a, there's not like a discipleship ministry and a worship ministry and a youth ministry. No, no. All of our ministries in the local church center around the fact that our unity is that we all follow Jesus together. And that we want to encourage others to follow Jesus uh, more closely and more devotedly and more committed. And I think <clears throat> what we often do is we do throw the baby out with the bathwater and we say, well, I can worship Jesus just as much on the, on the boat or on the golf course as I can on Sunday. No, you can't. You need the regular diet of the preaching of the word of God that only comes through the corporate gathering of the believers in a local body. And you also need the accountability from that corporate gathering. You need the mutual encouragement from that gathering. You need the exhortation from that gathering. You need to partake in the ordinances with fellow believers. Um, and when you, when we say, you know, me and Jesus got a good thing going, that's all well and good. But the problem is that's not biblical. Christianity is most definitely individual, but it is also most definitely corporate, and we end up, again, um, kind of having our cake and eating it, too. That, when, when you were sharing that, that made me think about, Ben, uh, just a theological divergence, which I won't embark upon today, but <laughs> it's easy for us to get on that. Um, you were talking about basically the call to be a disciple, which the word call is election, right? And I was just thinking about what F. Leroy Fourlines teaches about Israel's individual and corporate mm. election, his, his whole view of uh, corporate election. And that's not the point of this episode today, yeah. but no, it's not. <laughs> I think it has a lot to say about discipleship. Right. Yeah, it does. It does that we're not, well, again, God has not just saved us in uh, as a certain person who is saved, but he saves us also corporately as his bride and and yeah. that's how we do that so well that brings up you quoted Robbie Gallaty earlier uh, he asked this powerful question we talk about what God has saved us from the wrath of God we talk about the fact that we have been saved that that we don't have the sin held to our account because it was through the imputation of Jesus righteousness that we're redeemed mm. but what not only are we saved from what are we saved for? Yeah. Yep. And so a lot of people, they get saved, Ben, and we've got people in our churches that are 70 years old and they're baby Christians. And I'll tell you this, I don't shame those, those believers. 
I'm sort of pointing fingers at us. Like if you're 70 years old and you've been following Jesus for 50 and all you did was walk an aisle 50 years ago and your life hadn't changed since you met Jesus. I'll calm down. I'm getting a little preachy here. <laughs> I don't shame those people. I want to come alongside them as a shepherd and love them and help them and support them and raise up the feeble hands. But like, it's not just about praying a prayer to not die and go to hell. It is about an orientation of the heart, a complete lifestyle change, which you cannot manufacture on your own because sin. And again, which all goes back to that the gospel does not just affect one aspect of you. It affects your total person. It affects your mind. It affects your heart and it affects your will. Those who have been affected by mind and heart will also be affected in the way they live and that's vitally important, and I think that's a great point to end on. We're not just saved from something. We're saved for something, and we are saved for holiness, and we are saved for following Jesus, and we are saved to persuade others to do the same. So, dear listener, we are so thankful that you have chosen to listen to uh, a good conversation. This is a good conversation for us to have, and we probably need to have more conversations like this. Um, if you have a conversation that you might would uh, you might want some clarification on, reach out to us, uh, emailing us at info at everydaytheology.co. Uh, hey, look us up on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Twitter and uh, like us, subscribe to us and uh, so that you can get the content right when we release it. And uh, we pray that these truths that are for God's glory and for your good will uh, enhance your walk with the Lord and persuade you to persuade others to follow him as well.